Well, as we all know, today is Palm Sunday, and our text this morning is going to be taken from Matthew chapter 21, where Matthew gives us the account of the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem on the day that has become known as Palm Sunday. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Now they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. And so as we come to consider what is commonly called the triumphal entry, that day that Jesus, in fulfillment of prophecy, would present himself to Jerusalem as Israel's king, as we come to consider the passage, what we need to understand is that here in this event, no less than three different prophecies are being fulfilled. Prophecies from as far back as a thousand years, written by David in the Psalms, Psalm 118 that we read this morning. The prophecy of Zechariah, some 500 years before the event, is being fulfilled. Matthew uh, references that here. But there's also the prophecy of Daniel in the ninth chapter that's being fulfilled. And so we want to look together at those prophecies today. But Before we do that, just a quick word on both uh, Palm Sunday and uh, the triumphal entry. So we call today Palm Sunday. Why do we call it Palm Sunday? Well, in all four Gospels, this event is recorded. But only in the Gospel of John does John make a reference to palm branches. And so... At some point in church history, when the church became a little more uh, institutionalized and began to develop uh, seasons and festivals and things that you know would be celebrated throughout the year, uh, they decided that the Sunday preceding Easter, Resurrection Sunday, would be known as Palm Sunday. 
Now, for some, it's also known as Passion Sunday. For, for those who follow a, more of a liturgical year, um, this is the beginning of Passion Week, where it is uh, a, a week where remembering the suffering of Jesus and the various things that led up ultimately to his offering of himself on the cross for us. So that's why we call this Palm Sunday. Now, when I was a kid, I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church, and I remember, um, you know, we would get little uh, palm branches that were given to us, and we would take them home and so forth. And uh, you know, those, those things are fine. There's nothing the matter with those kinds of traditions. Sometimes those traditions can be uh, a real blessing in helping us just to be familiar with and remember those kinds of things. Uh, we, we don't do that. Instead, uh, we decided to set up Old Jerusalem in the courtyard, and uh, we almost had a living donkey. And I tweeted last night that we were going to have a donkey for the kids And the first thing I wanted to see when I got here this morning was the donkey. And then I was given the sad news, no donkey. And the reason was the donkey we were going to get, it has an inclination to bite. And so I I said, okay, you know, good decision. I'm a little disappointed there's no donkey, but I would rather have no donkey than kids that have been bitten by a donkey. So here we are on Palm Sunday. Uh, The triumphal entry. In most of your Bibles, I would imagine that there's a heading over this portion of scripture that we just read that says the triumphal entry. And again, this is one of those sort of traditional ways of viewing this event here. Uh, The idea of a triumphal entry was was common among the Romans. Uh, One commentator said this. He wrote, whenever a Roman general was victorious on foreign soil, he was given a Roman triumph when he returned home. Uh, The victor would be permitted to display the trophies he had won and the enemy leaders he had captured. The parade ended in the arena where some of the captives entertained the people by fighting wild beasts. And so this commentator says, compared to a Roman triumph, our Lord's entry into Jerusalem was nothing. Now, this act was not intended to be a peasant's version of a triumphal entry. So to call it a triumphal entry is really just an insertion that uh, somebody made at some point and it stuck. It's it's really not a triumphal entry. It's a a different thing. Uh, Jesus had not yet won the victory. The victory would be won later that week when he would go to the cross and die for our sins and rise again from the dead. And there certainly will be a triumphal entry, but it is yet to come. It is when the Lord comes in the clouds with power and great glory and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. He will come with multitudes from heaven. That will be the triumphal entry. But this was rather Jesus coming and presenting himself as the long-awaited king of Israel, presenting himself as the one who would come to fulfill the prophecies. And so, as I said, Jesus was fulfilling 
here in this act, he was fulfilling at least three different prophecies, beginning with the prophecy of Zechariah. And Matthew quotes the prophecy here for us when he um, speaks of, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you and so forth. He doesn't give us the name of the prophet. He just says, which was spoken by the prophet. It was the prophet Zechariah. And it's recorded for us in the ninth chapter and the ninth verse. And and Zechariah's prophecy is just slightly different. Uh, Matthew quoted it and uh, didn't quote it entirely, no doubt for brevity's sake. But let me read it to you from Zechariah chapter nine. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Now here's what Matthew didn't include. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so the prophecy of Zechariah that the king would come, the Messiah would come, he would come in meekness, he would come in humility. Behold, your king is coming to you and he is just and he is bringing salvation. And so that's what Jesus was doing on this day. He was bringing the offer of salvation to the nation now officially. This was the official offer of salvation. Jesus had, of course, been ministering for at least uh, you know, three years at this point. He had done much ministry in the area of Galilee. He had done plenty of ministry in Jerusalem. He had generally uh, appealed to the individuals, but now he's, he's really in the fulfillment of this prophecy. He's making his appeal to the entire nation there before the, the tens of thousands of pilgrims that would be there at Passover. And of course, Jerusalem was the, the political and the religious center of the country. So now he's making his, his official appeal to them as their just king who has come to save them. And so the prophecy of Zechariah is being fulfilled, but also the prophecies of the 118th Psalm that we just read together, they were also being fulfilled. Those verses that we read in Psalm 118, uh, specifically, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now or Hosanna. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Those were all there in that 118th Psalm. Now, this, of course, as I mentioned, was the time of Passover. So tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, actually, would have come to Jerusalem at this time for the Passover. Remember, the Jews were not only spread out throughout the land of Israel, but they were spread out uh, into the surrounding nations. And it was required by the law of Moses that there were these different times when uh, the people would come up to Jerusalem for the feast and so forth. And Passover was one of those times that the people uh, would come up for the, these massive celebrations. And as they would come, they would sing. They would sing what became known as the Psalms of Ascent as they were ascending. When you, when you 
speak of Jerusalem and, and going to Jerusalem, the Bible always speaks of Jerusalem as the, the elevated spot. You're always going up to Jerusalem. So they were the songs of ascent. They were going up to the house of the Lord. And those psalms of ascent, the, the climactic psalm was 118. So this is something that the people would do. Now, whether or not they actually knew just exactly what was happening or not, we don't know. But they were, whether they knew it or not, they were fulfilling prophecy as Jesus is coming in. Now, certainly some of them knew what they were saying, but others obviously didn't because their question was, who is this? And they had to be told, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. But whether intentionally or unintentionally, they were proclaiming this, uh, this prophetic praise from the 118th Psalm, save now, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But remember also, this is the day that the Lord has made. You see, 1,000 years before Jesus came, David prophesied in that Psalm that there was a specific day, a specific day. Now we might say today, and we certainly have the freedom to do that. We might say about a good day. If somebody asked us, you know, how, how's the day going? If it's a great day, we might say, oh man, this is the day the Lord has made. Uh, I'm rejoicing and I'm glad in it. And that's perfectly fine. But we must understand that there was a specific day that that psalm was talking about. It would be this day when the people would shout, save us now. They would shout these words to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So this is what's happening there as Jesus is coming down that road from the Mount of Olives as he's coming into the city of Jerusalem. Now, the emphasis on this particular day, we see Jesus puts the emphasis on it himself. In Luke's record of this event, Luke tells us this. He says, now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. So you see, Jesus understood this was the day. This was the day that the Lord had made. This was the day that all uh, Israel should have been anticipating. And I say should have been anticipating because the third prophecy is the prophecy given in Daniel chapter 9 that actually gave them the very day that this event would take place, the coming of the Messiah. For in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 26, say this. The angel Gabriel is speaking. He's speaking to Daniel. He's giving him this prophecy. He said, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. 
So you see, the prophecy gives the very day of Messiah's coming to Israel. Let's break it down. Here's what it said. From the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah, until Messiah the Prince, there shall be a total of 69 weeks. 69 weeks, or an easier way to understand it is there will be a total of 69 seven-year periods, which, uh, which amounts to 483 years. So four, in other words, 483 years from the moment the command is given to restore and build Jerusalem, 483 years later, the Messiah will come. Now, those years were years uh, of 360 rather than 365 days. They were Babylonian years. 360-day years, 483 of them. If you break that down into actual days, you come uh, up with this number, 173,880 days. So the angel Gabriel revealed to Daniel, and then Daniel subsequently to the nation through through his writing, the very day that the Messiah would come. The Messiah would come 173,880 days after the decree was given to restore and build Jerusalem. Now, the question is, when was the decree given? So, uh, Sir Robert Anderson, in his classic book, The Coming Prince, he calculated that the command to restore and build Jerusalem came to Nehemiah from the Persian king Artaxerxes on March 14th, 445 BC. March 14th, 445 BC. So according to Sir Robert Anderson, that was the starting date. So 173,880 days later, you could expect the Messiah to come. If you follow Sir Robert Anderson's calculations, you arrive at April the 6th, 32 AD. We, of course, know beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus was living in 32 AD. And it is um, doubtless that it would have been at this time that this event took place. So the prophecy is so precise down to the very day. That's why Jesus would say to them, if you had known in this especially this, your day, the things that make for your peace. You see, Jesus believed that they should have known beyond the shadow of a doubt who he was and what was happening on that day because it was the day the Lord had made. It was the day that had been prophesied. But of course, there was more to the prophecy. There would be the 483 years until Messiah the Prince, but then it went on to say that he would be cut off. He would be cut off. And that's exactly what happened. As we know, Jesus, he came into the city that day. He was hailed by many as the Savior but we know by the end of the week, he was taken and he was cut off. He was crucified, but he was cut off as the prophet said, not for himself. 
Jesus did not die for his own sins. He had no sins. He died for our sins. And Isaiah, in the 53rd chapter, he would echo this very same thing. He spoke of the Messiah, that he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was stricken. So here's the point that I want to make. And it's the point regarding the certainty of Bible prophecy. The certainty of Bible prophecy. Let's never forget that just as Christ came in humility to suffer and die as the prophets predicted, he will also come again in power and glory to rule and reign. See, just as these uh, prophecies of his first coming were were fulfilled so uh, perfectly to the very day, just as these prophecies were so precise and fulfilled exactly as was stated, that should give us absolute confidence that the prophecies concerning the second coming of Christ will also be fulfilled just as precisely. You see, prophecy is God's way of confirming to us that this book is indeed his book, that these words are indeed his words. He tells us in advance what's going to happen. That's what prophecy is. It's telling the future in advance. And we can see that just with these three prophecies here, we can see how precisely they were fulfilled. And now there are many, many prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled that all have to do with the return of Christ for his, if you will, his triumphal entry into the world. Those have not yet been fulfilled. Some of them are in the the process of, of developing. But what we can be absolutely certain of is that just as these prophecies were fulfilled to the smallest detail, so those prophecies will be fulfilled as well. But let's talk as we wrap things up about, again, this day. This day, this is the day. And then as Jesus would say, this your day. And what did he say to them? He said, if you had only known in this your day, the things that make for your peace. What, what was happening on this day? It was the offer of salvation. And the way it's described here, the things that make for your peace, that's what salvation is. It's, it's God's peace offering. It's God's uh, bringing us into a place where we have peace with him. It's that place where there is the, the cessation of conflict between us and God because we confess our sins and we allow him to forgive our sins. And he comes and the result of that is peace. When God was describing this salvation that he would send to Israel through uh, the prophet Isaiah. And, and he's lamenting through Isaiah the fact that they didn't receive it. He said, oh, if you had only received my word, then your peace would have been like a river. This is one of the ways that God describes uh, salvation. The effect of it is peace. It brings us peace. This is, this is the thing that people are looking for. This is that elusive thing that, that nobody's able to find 
because they're looking in the wrong places. The only place that you can find peace is in salvation. But here's the wonderful news. Although the nation of Israel missed the opportunity on that day, that day was extended and that peace offer goes out to all people to this very day. The same offer stands to this very day. Like we read in John chapter one, he came to his own, the Jewish nation, but his own did not receive him. When he came in fulfillment of these prophecies, they they didn't receive him. Instead, at the end of the week, they crucified him. But as many as would receive him, to them, he would give the right or the power to become the children of God. You see, that day of salvation is still with us. And the Bible tells us that. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart. That's the message of Palm Sunday. It's a message that still goes out to us today. If you had only known the things that belong to your peace. The tragedy of Jerusalem is it was right there. It was right at their fingertips. They could have had it, but they missed it. They rejected it and Just 30 plus years later, the city was completely destroyed and the people were dispersed throughout the world to remain exiled for almost 2000 years. It's no light thing to reject God's offer of salvation. And if we reject it, then we put ourselves in a position of having to be judged. But God doesn't want that. That's why he's brought us the salvation. That's why he gave us the prophecy so we could know the certainty of these things because he wants to bring us into that relationship with him. He wants us to have peace with him. He wants us to have peace within. He wants us to have peace with those around us. That's what salvation is. It's God giving us his peace. You know, I don't know a single person who has truly received God's gift of salvation that has ever regretted having done that. The only regret that I hear from people is that they did not do it sooner. I don't know anybody that has been disappointed in the salvation. No, it's such a wonderful thing. It's so beautiful. It's God bringing peace into your life and God taking uh, the brokenness in your life and repairing it. That's what salvation is. This is God's gift. This is what God wanted to do for Israel. Here they were. They were under the oppression of Rome. And not only were they under the oppression of Rome, but all of just those long centuries of being disconnected from God and Uh, the misery of the nation and the misery of the individual people. And Jesus said, how often I wanted to gather you together like a a mother hen gathers her, her chicks under her wings. That's the heart of God. That's what he says to people today in this extended day of salvation. How often I wanted to draw you in. I wanted to gather you under my wing to protect you, to take care of you, to bless you. But the tragedy Jesus said regarding Israel was, but you would not. And you know, that tragedy is still with us today because that same offer of salvation goes out and and many people whose lives are broken 
and who live in misery and frustration and confusion for whatever reason, whatever strange reason, they still, they, they don't seem to want this gift. How could that be? It doesn't make any sense because what God is offering us is the most wonderful thing imaginable. He's offering us to come into a relationship with him where he imparts to us his peace and he takes our broken lives and he puts them back together. I don't know how you could not be interested in that. That's what salvation is all about. And that's the the free gift that God offers to everyone. And just like that was the day of Israel's salvation, so this is the day the Lord has made for us. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't resist. Don't hold on thinking you're gonna figure it out, thinking you've got something better, thinking you know better. Just embrace Shout out like those people did. Save now. Save me now. You'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. Cheryl reminded me earlier of a a story of a friend. When, When I came to Christ in my early 20s, I started sharing with friends of mine, and some of them came to know the Lord, some of them didn't. But, but one of my, my dear friends, I would share with him occasionally, and you know he would listen politely, but he never really responded, and he went on to do his thing. And it was over a period of about 20 years where I would sporadically have opportunities to talk to him. He would call me randomly after I hadn't heard from him for five years or something and just ask me you know, some Bible question. And... Um, he had a, a you know, number of failed marriages and ongoing problems with alcohol abuse and so forth. And um, I'll never forget, he called me one time just very randomly, and he asked me this question. He says, does the Bible have anything to say about a broken heart? And I said, oh, well, let me tell you. <laughs> it's got plenty to say. And I read him the passage from Luke, where Jesus stands in the synagogue, remember, and he quotes from Isaiah, the Lord has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He's like, wow, that's in there? Says that? Yeah, that's in there. That's what Jesus came to do. So we talked a little bit, and he listened politely, and then he thanked me for talking to him. And then I never heard from him again for probably seven or eight years. And finally, after 20 years of these occasional opportunities to speak with him and his life getting more and more desperate and more and more difficult and more and more miserable. And when he's finally at the point where he's just about to to seriously drink himself to death, away from his wife, kids, and everything else, somehow the Lord reconnected us. And I had the privilege of, of leading him to Christ. And... You know, it's been about 15 years now since that happened. And I just talked to him last week. He called me. He lives uh, out of state now. He's in the ministry. He serves the Lord. And he just, again, sort of occasionally calls me out of nowhere just to shoot the breeze. But every time he calls me now, it's just a praise report about how good God has been to him, how much God has blessed him. That's what salvation is. That's why Jesus came. He came to save us. The people shouted, save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Save now. 
And you know, anybody who says that with sincerity, you know what happens? They get saved now. The living God, the the living Christ who rode into Jerusalem that day in fulfillment of prophecy, he will meet you and he will transform you. Uh, We mentioned earlier the the film that we put together, the stories of the 10 different people in the church, Christ is Our Life. And I sat and I watched that last night and I just was so touched. I was so blessed to just, again, be reminded of the different stories of how Christ has met people and transformed their lives. And there, there was a young guy, and you know, if you come next week early, you'll see it. There was a young guy who said, you know, I've recently become a Christian, but he talked about uh, living a life of depression and how he was using drugs to kind of try to offset the depression and how things were getting worse and he was becoming more miserable. And he just talked about how he came to meet the Lord and how the Lord has just been changing his life and blessing him. And as he was even you know, being recorded and saying this, you could see just the peace on his face. And I thought, man, that's what it is. That's what God gives us. And so Palm Sunday is primarily about salvation. It's about God keeping his promise. It's about God letting us know that these things are true because he tells us in advance exactly how they're gonna go down. It's about God's peace offer to us. Anyone who will receive it. And so as we finish up today, I know most of you have done that. Most of you have a testimony as well. You could tell your story. But I know that some of you have not yet surrendered. You have not yet cried out, save now. But let me tell you, if you do that today, you'll never regret it. Be the greatest thing you ever do. And things will go uh, from right where they're at. They'll, They'll get better and better and better progressively right on into eternity. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you for your condescending love, Lord, that you came into this world. Jesus, that you came and you rode into Jerusalem that day, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of heaven and earth. Lord, that you didn't come on a, on a stallion, but you came meek and humbly on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You came as the king who is just and having salvation. And Lord, I pray today that just as you came with that offer of salvation then, Lord, that that same offer would be received by some here today. Thank you, Lord, that you're still offering peace to those who would receive it. And so help us today. Thank you, Lord, from those of us that have received your peace. Thank you for the peace that you've given to us. And we pray, Lord, especially for any that might not yet know that peace for themselves. May they cry out to you today. In Jesus' name, amen.